Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Well, can you believe that it's uh, three weeks and five days till Christmas? I know it. I feel the same way. I mean, my goodness. Uh, that reminds me of, a, of one of my favorite Christmas stories. I want to share that with you, kind of kick this uh, sermon series off. I'm going to be preaching over the next couple of weeks the theology of Christmas and today we're going to be looking at Isaiah 7:14. But before we do, this is one of my favorite Christmas stories. According to the Alaskan Department of Fish and Game, both male and female reindeer grow antlers in the summer each year. The male reindeer drop their antlers at the beginning of winter, usually around October, November, December, early December. However, female reindeer retain their antlers till after they give birth in the spring. Therefore, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them, from Rudolph to Blitzen, are girls. Buzzard, we should have known. Because only a female could take a fat man in a red suit and drag him all the way around the world in one night and never get lost. <laughs> if you have your Bibles this morning, let me show you a text, Isaiah chapter number 7. I want to read verse number 14. Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 14. Some 700 years before Jesus Christ comes into this world uh, by the birth by the virgin birth the bible has this prophecy the bible says therefore the lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name emmanuel now in that passage of scripture isaiah says that this virgin being being with child is a sign we're living in a day and in a culture today where we really want some fresh revelation or some new sign. There is no new thing under the sun according to the scriptures. The Bible says, according to the book of Peter, in First and Second Peter, we have a more sure word of prophecy. That sure word of prophecy is the word of God which contains the words of Jesus Christ. That's everything that we need for salvation and the abundant life. We're living in a culture today where we really want to pick and choose what we believe theologically. It reminds me a lot of when I was a child growing up. When I was growing up uh, there in Gadsden, Alabama, my parents would go to Morrison's Restaurant. How many of you remember Morrison's? You remember Morrison's Restaurant? All the old people. Good. All right. So, 
Morrison's restaurant, for those of you that had never been to a Morrison's, was it was kind of like the Golden Corral, but it was more cafeteria style. It wasn't a buffet, it was cafeteria style. And so you would go through this line, and you'd get your tray, and, and uh, you would say, I want some of that, uh, I want just a little bit of that, I don't want any of that, uh, I, and some of that. And you just tell them what you want, and they just put it on there and hand it to you. And as a child, I can always remember that, man, this is, it was fun, but also a little bit scary and intimidating because my dad, he always got the beef liver and onions. I thought that was the worst thing you could ever put in your mouth. I said, that is, a, don't put any of that on my plate. I want the chicken fingers. And I'd get those chicken fingers and we'd sit down and my dad, he would, he'd cut that liver and onions up and he'd say, here, son, you just need to try it. Don't say you don't like it till you try it. No, I'm not trying that. That's, no, you know, all that you do when you're a child. And just, no, Dad, I'm not, not going not gonna to do it. And then he looked at me, and he ruined my day. He said, son, you know chickens don't have fingers. Man, that destroyed my life for the rest of my life. I, I'm not, uh, they don't have fingers. He said, what does that have to do with Christmas and Christianity? I really believe we're living in a culture today where we are suffering from what I'm calling cafeteria Christianity where we go down through the line of Christianity, through the line of theology and doctrine, and we'll say, I want a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't want any of that. That's gross. That's not, I don't want that. And we turn around and we walk away with just what we want instead of the complete Word of God. Right. You take as an example the virgin birth. The virgin birth, as an example, if you would, it would simply go something like this. We all love the story of Jesus. We, we love the manger. We love no room at the end. Uh, we love how that at uh, the story of Mary and Joseph making this trek to Bethlehem. And we love the shepherds and we love the magi. We love the story and we repeat it year after year after year. But there's one part of the story that many professing Christians would rather just leave out. And that's the virgin birth. And the reason why is because there's a segment of Christians today, and it's growing in its popularity, that cannot reconcile in their mind miracles. Brothers and sisters, might I just add this at the beginning of this sermon series, if you could figure out God, He wouldn't be God. Therefore, God's ways are not our ways. And because God's ways are not our ways, God does things a little bit different. And it's not unusual for God to do the miraculous. As a matter of fact, God still does the miraculous today. Uh, and God uses divine intervention to perform miracles. God uses the talents and abilities of doctors and nurses and uh, those that have been uh, skilled in different areas and learning the body. Uh, God uses them. Uh, God uses situations. God can even use music. But I promise you, when God uses any of those things, it will line up with the Word of God. Then you'll know it's a miracle. But there are many individuals that are out there today that says, Well, we just don't believe in miracles. As a matter of fact, Pew Research did a survey not too long ago, and they found overall only 66% of Americans believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Only 66%. That's down uh, from the 73% that we believed in 2014. So from 2014 to 2020, we have gone down in the fact that we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. 
Now, while some might expect non-believers to wrestle with this and even doubt uh, this issue of the virgin birth, the new research says that actual in the form of Christianity in many Protestant denominations, there are many Christians that do not believe in the virgin birth. As a matter of fact, the percentage of mainline Protestants who believe, the, believe in the virgin birth has declined from 83% to 71%. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, it's imperative, it is absolutely necessary for us as born-again children of God to believe in the virgin birth. For if we do not believe in the virgin birth, then the question of our salvation really does come into play. The question that many of these Protestant denominations are struggling with is, why is it necessary to have a virgin birth? Dear friend, the, the, the belief in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. A few doctrines are fundamental in the Christian faith. Some are non-fundamental. Some uh, just don't really uh, matter. That we, What I mean by that is we can have fellowship over several things like your belief system uh, as, in, as in regards to giftedness or uh, your belief system in response to eschatology, the study of last things and prophecy. Uh, even we can have fellowship over the fact of what you believe about spiritual gifts. And, and even the view of baptism. We love our Methodist uh, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, there has to be some essentials in the Christian faith. And one of those essentials in the Christian faith is the virgin birth. If you do not believe in the virgin birth, you cannot call yourself Christian. Why? Well, because to deny the fundamental of the virgin birth is to deny what the very core of Christianity is all about. The historic aspect of the word, the virgin birth, a, a girl who has not known a man has been chosen by God to bring into this world the miraculous gift that God has given us, that being the Messiah, the Son of God, who was 100% God and 100% man. He was not 50-50. He was just as much God as he was man. And he was just as much man as he was God. And to deny that fact of the virgin birth is to deny the Word of God. To deny that is to deny the truthfulness of the Bible. To deny that is to deny the deity of Jesus Christ and His sinless humanity. To deny that is to deny that He is the Savior that the Scriptures speak about. The virgin birth is important because it affirms four basic truths that we must agree on if we're going to call ourselves Christian. Number one, the first one is this. The virgin birth affirms the truthfulness of the Bible. The virgin birth affirms the truthfulness of the Bible. Listen to what Luke said. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. The scripture says this. And the angel answered and said unto her, being Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born uh, of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Brothers and sisters, let me repeat what that scripture says in verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. The Bible even begins by stating the fact that there is God. 
God exists. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It teaches the reason why men have rejected God on the earth. It tells us there in the Word of God that it wasn't intellect that caused this neglect of God, but it was morals. It was our morality. We, our hearts were darkened, and we had separated ourselves by God, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. The fact of the intelligent Creator is evident in creation, and to think that in a world that's so complex that God could not perform miracles is to deny the very ex existence of oneself. Many are out there today says, well, you know, you give billions and billions and billions of years and uh, you'll have a planet. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that nothing plus nothing cannot equal something. Nothing plus nothing always equals nothing. But when God is in place, only God, the Creator, can speak nothing into something. And when he speaks nothing into something, according to the book of Genesis, that something that he spoke was the heavens. And the Bible tells us that God, in his great love for us, says, let there be light, giving us the fact that there is an intelligent creator that is, that is obviously, uh, it's evident of his creation. And in thinking about that, to think that anything as complex as life on this earth could have evolved by sheer chance plus time is a leap of faith that runs counter to the principles of the scientific method. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a born-again child of God. When we examine the complex mechanism of a computer or, or, or a watch or, or a television, it, uh, we look and uh, we see that given enough time, such a thing could never happen by chance. We know that an intelligent designer put these things together and he did it on purpose. Well, what is more logical? To conclude that something as complex as a plant and animal life on this earth and the conditions necessary to sustain it, independent as it all is, happened by sheer chance over billions of years with the parts that is needed and other parts hanging on for a few billion years until those other necessary parts are evolved? Or is it more logical to conclude that an omniscient, omnipotent creator designed it and then created it? it. I offer to you the bacteria of the E. coli, one of the most awful, deadly bacteria that could invade the body. It is such a, a wonder that if one who's ever had E. coli poisoning knows that it could, it could and has the potential of killing you. But when you look at the complexity of that bacteria, when you look at it through a, the lens of a microscope, it has caught the attentions of, attention of scientists worldwide. And what has caught their attention is how that thing moves around. Because in between the body of the E. coli and the tail of the E. coli sits a little bitty uh, motor. It looks just exactly like an electric motor. As a matter of fact, if you were to take it out, if you were to remove that from the E. coli bacteria and put it in a prop motor on a boat, it would power that boat. It is the most unusual, one of the most uh, amazing things that we see. And it is, it's indeductible in its, uh, in its design. That is to say that you can remove one part of that mechanism and it shuts down completely. The point that scientists are, are making is this. That device, that 
piece of equipment that's on that bacteria could not have evolved. It had to be put there by design. Who designed it? Who put it there if it didn't evolve? There's only one answer. God. God put it there. And so to conclude that the omniscient, omnipotent creator designed it, created it, is more logical and carries the idea that the supernatural God does in fact perform miracles. He did it in days past. He did it in days present. And he'll do it in days future. We serve a miracle-working God. The angel stated to Mary when he announced that she would bear a son and he would be the Savior, she was puzzled. She said, how could I have a child since I have had no relation with a man? And the explanation was simple. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 35 and 37. And then he concludes with this. For nothing is impossible with God. Brothers and sisters, some 700 years before God entered the world through Mary, we find that he existed in the creation of the world. And the Bible says there in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, that this sign, this shall be a sign to you. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I submit to you this morning that when it comes to Christmas, it's not about Mary, it's all about Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, the virgin birth is not pointing to the immaculate conception of Mary, it's pointing to the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ. It gives us, if you would, and affirms the truthfulness of the Bible. When you look at Matthew and Luke's account, as independent as they are, and you read their accounts, both of these men report this this miraculous event. Thus, to reject the virgin birth, a person must reject the word of two independent historians who lived at a time whose writings have been accepted as factorial uh, positions by scholars for thousands and thousands of years. If a person rejects the herosity of the virgin birth and claims that it is only some type of spiritual lesson like the, like the Jesus Project does today, for, for, the, for that matter, then in effectiveness, he has cut himself off from the necessity of believing any history of the Bible. And you might as well just take it and throw it away because it can't be true if you can pick and choose what you want to believe out of it. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This verse asserts to his Jewish readers that a virgin is going to give birth to Jesus, and this birth will be the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7 verse number 14, bringing support to the truthfulness of the Bible. I'm telling you, there's not another book on this planet that speaks more truth than the Word of God. Matthew is stating that it is ultimate, it is the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus coming to this earth, the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah coming. That is the birth of Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary. The virgin birth of Christ was only one of numerous prophecies 
written hundreds of years previous to his birth, which he fulfilled. Together with the historical accuracy of Matthew and Luke, these prophecies affirm the truthfulness of the Bible. You cannot claim to believe the Bible if you deny the virgin birth. Since the Bible clearly teaches the virgin birth, you can't consistently claim to believe anything the Bible has to say when it comes to prophecy. The main reason skeptics reject the virgin birth is that they assume that they must reject the miracles as being just fables that have been passed down from time and time and time and time again. Rejecting the legitimacy of the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, let it be known and may it be on record as saying that we at Maysville Baptist Church believe that this Word is truth. And it's our responsibility to place ourselves under the word of truth. And the truthfulness of the word of God changes us. For it's the word of God that speaks. Not just a cafeteria style of Christianity that says, Hey, I like this, or I don't like that, or or, I'm not going to have any of that. No, we take it all that's in the word of God. Because the word of God and the virgin birth affirms the truthfulness of the Bible. Number two. The second thing we see is that it also not only affirms the truthfulness of the Bible, but it also affirms the deity of Christ. It affirms the deity of Christ. John chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on to say uh, in that passage of Scripture in verse number 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that he speaks of is Jesus Christ. Therefore, we see Jesus, if he is the word, then he is God. We see the deity of Christ. If Jesus Christ is the son of a human father and a human mother, through this natural biological process, then he cannot, he cannot be God in human flesh. It's that simple. Uh, He might, under those circumstances, be a man indwelt by God. But his very existence would say that he's biological. There's nothing miraculous about him. He's 100% man, but he's not 100% God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Scripture teaches us, again, in John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse number 14. In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and this Jesus was with God. And the, and the Jesus was God. And the Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 says this, But the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, talking to the Son, talking to Jesus, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of His, being Jesus' kingdom. John chapter 8 verse 58, Jesus himself told the Jews, He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham came into being, I am. When Thomas saw the risen Lord, uh, we find that he cried out. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus did not correct him. He did not reject him. He did not say that that's blasphemous. But rather, he accepted the worship that came from Thomas. And we find that from that very fact alone, that Jesus Christ, who was risen in the flesh, who carried the scars in his hand and his side, is exactly who he says he is. He is the Messiah. Born of a virgin, because 
because the Word of God, the Word of God has truthfulness that speaks to that through the history of the Bible, and we also see that it affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. In their excellent book, Putting Jesus in His Place, The Case for the Deity of Christ, Robert Bowman and Ed Kozowski uh, creatively spelled out five different ways the Bible bears witnesses to, witness to Jesus' divinity. And they did it by using the word hands, H-A-N-D-S. The H stands for honor. Jesus shares the honors of God. Then they said A. A represents attributes. Jesus shares the attributes of God. And then they went to N. Jesus shares the names of God. D. Deeds. Jesus shares the deeds of God. And then S. Jesus shares the seat of God's eternal throne. And what's so fascinating about their study is every one of those honor, attributes, names, deeds, and the seat of God's eternal throne, every one of those can be found in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 proclaims that Jesus Christ shares the honor of God, shares the attributes of God, share the names of God, share the deeds of God, and shares the seat of God's eternal throne, the deity of Christ. Not only does the virgin birth affirm the truthfulness of the Bible, not only does it affirm the deity of Christ, but there's a third one I'd like to share with you this morning. It also affirms the sinless human nature of Jesus Christ. It affirms the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Listen to what the Bible says. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, the virgin birth affirms the sinless humanity of Christ. Not only was he 100% God, he was also 100% man. If Jesus was born of natural parents, then he was born a sinner like all other human beings. And he would have needed a Savior to save himself. If he had sin of his own, he could not have died as a substitute for others. The, the scriptures clearly teach that the whole human race from Adam onward is born under the curse of sin. Romans chapter number 5 verse 12 says this, as for whereas one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Simply stating that Adam's sin, his intentional rejection of the laws of God, separated him in his relationship with God, to the extent that that separation caused death to fall upon him. And that sin nature that Adam experienced was passed on to his children. And then it was passed on to their children. And to the children of generations and generations and generations. Until we find ourselves as the children of Adam. Born under the penalty of sin. Which causes us to die. 
The facts are in. The reviews are in. The research has been done, finalized. They've closed the book on it and filed it and say we'll never have to go and study it again. Death is certain. One out of every one dies. The Bible says it's appointed unto man to die. That is to say that somewhere in your life you have an appointment with death. I just heard a heartbreaking story yesterday of a man who passed away in Gadsden, Alabama. A man that lived just right down the street from Miriam and her family. He died of COVID. He had an appointment with death. Many of you know of friends and family members. And there's not a one person in this room who has not been touched with the tragedy of death. Why do people die? Sin. We die because of sin. The Bible says again in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men because all have sinned. We see that under the humanity of Jesus Christ, even Jesus Christ himself, to redeem that race from sin, Christ had to be identified with us in our humanity. But he also had to be sinless in of himself. So just as the scriptures teach the full deity of Jesus Christ, so they also clearly teach his full humanity. He was not a hybrid God-man, half of each. No, he was this beautiful picture of deity and this beautiful picture of humanity united in one person forever. He was God-man, the sinless Son of God. John 3.16 puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus had to have at least one human parent or he would not have shared in our humanity. But through the superintendent of the Holy Spirit of God in the virgin birth, Jesus was able to be born as fully human yet fully sinless. The angel tells Mary that because the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High shall overshadow her, Luke 1.35 says this, For that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Mary herself was not immaculately conceived. We're living in a day where we want to magnify Mary and pray to Mary. And, and, and there's uh, those out there that says, well, it's, it's about Mary. And they take the emphasis off of what it's really about. As beautiful as this manger is, as beautiful as this star is, as beautiful as the tree is, as beautiful as this manger scene is, th th this is what is not important to Christmas. What's important to Christmas is the child that's in the manger. That's God's gift. The birth of Jesus Christ shows his humanity. But we have religion out there today that says, well, Jesus was a good prophet. But Mary had to be something special. When we magnify Mary above Jesus, we nullify the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ and put dependence upon the prayers of Mary. 
which the scripture says absolutely nothing about saving you in your lost state. Dear friend, the Christmas story, as beautiful as the decorations are, as the red and the green and the lights, uh, as beautiful as the Christmas presents are, and, and uh, as wonderful as, as Santa, Santa Claus is, and, and the, the reindeer, and, and all of these. Listen, don't be caught up in such a way where we get our focus off what the main thing is. The main thing is not all of the commercialization of Christmas, or even Mary, or Joseph, or the wise men. It's all about Jesus. In fact, Mary said this in Luke chapter 1, verse 47. She said it very, very plain. She said about Jesus, she said, My God and my Savior. You don't need a Savior unless you're a sinner. Mary saw herself for who she was. She was a sinner who was an agent used by God to protect, if you would, Jesus Christ in the womb who was 100% God, yet 100% man. We find that the birth of Jesus Christ from Mary, who was a virgin, affirms the sinless humanity of Christ. And then number four, very quickly as I close, there's a fourth thing I want to share with you. The virgin birth also affirms that Christ is Messiah. The virgin birth affirms that Christ is Messiah. Matthew chapter 1 in verse 21. In Matthew 1 21 the Bible says this. And she, talking about Mary, will bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. See, Christmas isn't just a story to make us feel warm and fuzzy about family and friends and peace on earth and all of the things that go along with that. At the heart of Christmas is the story of a lost human race that's in desperate need of salvation. And the works of mankind to try to get God's favor fail time after time after time after time after time. And the failure of humanity only shows that man cannot save himself. But God in his great sovereignty in Matthew 1.21 told Mary, You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Today, you are either in your sins, alienated from God, facing judgment, or... Christ has saved you from your sins and you've been reconciled into God by faith in Christ. If you're lost, your greatest need is the Savior. The virgin-born Jesus is the Savior. To be our Savior, the Messiah had to be man. Because only man could die for the sins of a human race. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. And that penalty must be paid either by the sinner or by an acceptable substitute. But that substitute himself has to be without sin. Furthermore, he must be more than a man to die for the sins of the whole human race have to fall upon him. He must be the God in human flesh. One scholar put it this way. He said he ought to be, quote, a savior. 
Savior, not, not quite God as a bridge that is broken at the farther end. He's a Savior, not quite God is a bridge broken at the farther end. He is one by which that brings us over the bridge of faith, over the bridge of love, over the bridge of hope. He is the one that reconciles us to God. The virgin birth is really a picture of new life. It's a new life that, has to, that is bestowed upon every sinner. The initiative and power were totally on God's part. Mary could do nothing except accept. Someone said, you, you, do you think Mary could have rejected that and said, I don't, I don't want to do that? She could. She had a free will. But the Bible tells us here in the text, she said in Luke chapter 1 verse 38, Be it done to me according to thy word. You see, God did it all. All you can do is receive God through Jesus Christ, His Son. James said it this way in James chapter 1, verse 18. He says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and humanity, receive the Word of God implanted, which is able to save your soul. Dear friend, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And through the commercialization of Christmas in years gone by, and even this year today, we might sing Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but really Christmas is about Christ. It's about Jesus being born of a virgin. It's about the love of God. Reaching down to a sin-sick humanity and offering a way for mankind to be saved. When I was growing up, my grandmother used to listen to WAAX out of Gadsden, Alabama. And every day there would be a man that would come on that had a real distinct voice. His name was Paul Harvey. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? All the old people. Thanks for coming. As a little kid, I loved listening to Paul Harvey. I wanted to hang in there to the end because I loved hearing him say, Good day. But Paul Harvey told a story one time about Christmas. He said there was a family that had a mother and some children and a father. The father was not saved. The father didn't know Christ and had a hard time believing in the virgin birth. One Christmas Eve, they had sat down for a meal and following the meal, the mother said to the husband, I really would like to go to the Christmas Eve service at the church. Will you please go with us? The husband looked at the wife and said, Honey, you know I struggle with the virgin birth and with Jesus being the Messiah. I would love to go, but I'm not going to. I just can't believe. He wasn't rude. He wasn't ugly. He was a good man. He provided for his family. He wasn't mean. He was just lost. He said, I just don't believe. And the wife said, well, we're going to go. And if you change your mind, we'll be at the church. They got up from the table and got dressed and off they went to the church and they'd been gone for 20 minutes or so and a snowstorm began to move in. And the snow began to blow so hard against the house 
As the man was sitting there at the kitchen table, he heard a thud hit the window. Thinking that it might be some kids throwing snowballs, he looked out the window, he saw nothing. He sat back down and within a few more minutes, another thud hit the window. In curiosity, he wondered what in the world could that be? Could it be a tree hitting up against the, the window? He began to put on his galoshes and began to put on his coat to go out and investigate what was really going on. And he heard it again, thud, 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 three more times. He got to the door, he opened the door, and he made his way out into the front lawn. And as he got out there to the front, he noticed that there were five birds laying in the snow. He went to try to pick up those birds and they flew off. Within a matter of minutes, he walked away and they flew back. Same spot. They were shivering and cold. And he looked at them, he says, if I don't do something, these birds are going to die. So he walked across the yard and he opened up the barn doors. And as he opened up the barn doors, he snuck around on the other side of the house and he came around to those little birds and he said, Shoo birds! Shoo birds! Those birds went every direction, Sue, but the direction of that barn. That man said, if I don't get these birds in this barn, they're going to die. He ran back into the house and he got some bread and he tore the bread up. He said, I'll just leave a little trail to the barn. If I leave a little trail to the barn, they'll, they'll get that and they'll go... And, and he did that, but the snow was falling so thick, the little birds couldn't tell the difference between the snow and the birds, or the bread. And they ignored the bread, and they wandered, shivering, cold. And the man said, if I only could speak bird language, if I could speak to those birds in their own language, I could tell them that the warmth and safety and health and salvation is right there in the barn. All they got to do is go to the barn. And at that time, the bells began to ring at the local church, signifying the birth of Jesus Christ. It hit him like a ton of bricks, Daniel. Jesus is the one directing us into the barn to save us. He thought of himself, I'm the little bird. I'm in the cold. I'm dying. I'm without Christ. And God has done all of this. He has come as, as, as God in the flesh to show us the way of salvation. He immediately got in the car and drove to the church and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And got saved. Brothers and sisters, Christmas will be, always will be, has been and always will be about Jesus Christ. Oh, I am all for the decorations. And please, please bring presents. <laughs> but the greatest present of all is God in the flesh born of a virgin living a sinless life making his way to Calvary dying on the cross being buried and rising again on the third day so that you 
and I and the world, whosoever will, could have eternal life. Christmas is about Christ. And the virgin birth is essential to our salvation. I want to ask you a question today. Knowing that death will happen to everybody. It even happened to Jesus. Jesus died. But Jesus was the only man to be dead three days and on the third day come back to life. And the Bible saying that through the life that Jesus Christ had, we that believe have not only died with Christ, but we're also risen with Him. And knowing that we have the victory over death, hell, and the grave. I wonder, here's my question. Do you have that much assurance? Do you believe that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? You can rest assured, dear friend, you will die. You will die. But will you go to heaven? Pastor, is there any verse in the Bible that gives us some assurance that we know we're going to heaven when we die? Sure there are. My favorite is 1 John 5, 13. That says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, there are some things we hope, there are some things we think, and there are some things we know. And according to the Word of God, the Bible says you don't have to hope where you're going to go to heaven. You don't have to think you're going to heaven. The Bible says you can know that you're going to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, dying on the cross, and rising again the third day for our sins. Someone might say, well, Pastor, how do I accept this gift? How do I accept it? According to the Bible, not a preacher just being on a platform speaking to you, but according to what the Bible says, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 10. The scripture says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can be saved by believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. I want to give you that opportunity right now. I don't care if you're in this room. It doesn't matter if you're riding down the highway. If you're listening to this by way of radio, you can say, I can do it while I'm driving. You can. I prefer you pull over, but you can. But what I want you to do this morning is just simply this, or this afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this message. Right now, right now, whether in this room or somewhere else, could we all bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here, and you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, from your heart to God's, would you say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to save me. I repent of my sin, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email 
and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.